Hey, there were two of you really excited about that video. That, that's great. So good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And you can tell I am wearing proudly our 10-year T-shirt that you can you can own as well and wear in our community. If you stop by our t-shirt table before you leave, you can buy one of those and then just wear that around town. When somebody says, hey, what's a church for people who don't do church? Say, I'm not really sure. Why don't you come with me next week and we'll learn together about that. So next week, we're going to celebrate our 10th anniversary. And God has done some really cool things in the life of our church over the past 10 years. We're going to get to celebrate that in some really cool ways. In the morning, we're going to celebrate through our our three services, and we're going to kind of tell the story of what God has done from the beginning of Epic. So for some of you, if you're new, it'll be new information. For others of you, maybe it'll be a walk down memory lane, and you'll, you'll get to remember some things that maybe you've forgotten. So we hope that'll be a meaningful experience for all of us. And then as Monique has said, we're going to continue the celebration that evening at 5 o'clock at the Flagler County Fairgrounds. We're going to have a carnival-style birthday party. We'll have food trucks and bounce houses and family games and a dunk booth where you can dunk your favorite epic staff member. And I was supposed to say pastor, but Tim and I didn't want to be in the water the whole time, so we're inviting all of our staff to be a part of that as well. And I hope that you'll come out and celebrate that with us. Now, let me be clear about this. This event is for anybody, whether they've come to Epic or not. It's for anybody in our community, anybody that you know that you'd like to invite to come. They can come be a part of this. The event is free. If you would like to eat while you're there, you can bring your own food. Or if you want to buy food, we've got food trucks that'll be there. You can actually buy a food ticket. You can buy that here today before you leave. And the ticket costs $10. But here's the cool thing. When you buy one, you get one. You get one free. So if you have a family of four, you buy two, you get two free, your family's taken care of. If you want to buy more than that, you can get another free one. You can give those to somebody else in our community that you know that you want to invite to this event. So again, we encourage you to, to buy some of those and invite anybody to come and be a part of that with us. Okay, Monique told us that we are going to be continuing our series today called Belong. And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been learning together what it means to belong inside God's family. We've learned in this series that when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus, they're adopted into God's family. And then when we're adopted into God's family, we have certain responsibilities to each other. We have responsibilities to God and we have responsibilities to to each other. We've learned that we have a responsibility to accept each other. We have a responsibility to love each other. We have a responsibility to serve each other. And those things might sound simple. They might sound easy on the surface. But when you really dig into what Jesus was saying, they can be some of the hardest things for us to do. And yet some of the most rewarding things as we belong inside God's family. So today we're actually going to learn about another kind of challenging thing for us to do. And we'll be in Mark chapter 10 for those of you who want to follow along. But before we dive in, let me give you this super fun disclaimer. Today's message just might make some of you feel uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, you're excited about that, especially if you're new, coming to Epic, like, wow, I hope they do something that makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, So today's message just might do this. And in my life, this message has made me feel uncomfortable at different parts of my life. And I'll tell you about that a little bit today. 
But today, whether you're new, whether you're a Christ follower, whether you're not new, whether you've been with us for a long time, uh, whether you're not a Christ follower yet, none of that matters because I think today what God might do is he might put his finger on something in your life and when he does, if he does, it just might make you feel uncomfortable. And when God does something like that, we've got a decision to make. Are we going to take that thing, that, that emotion that we're feeling, that uncomfortableness, are we going to take that and step towards God with that, or are we going to take that and step away from God with that? So we all have a decision to make today. And aren't you so glad that you came to church this morning? You know, you thought after the hurricane, I'm going to come and get here, a really encouraging message, and then you come in and hear you're about to be made to feel uncomfortable. But here's what you need to know. What God has for us far outweighs anything we could ever hold on to. What God has for us far outweighs anything that we could ever be afraid to give him or anything we could ever hold on to in our lives. So with that super exciting disclaimer, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Verse 17, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down asked, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this story that we're reading here out of Mark is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this guy that we're reading about that runs up to Jesus has become known as the rich young ruler. So this is the guy that all of us want to be like. He's got money, he's got power, he's got position, he's got youth on his side. So this is the stuff like all of us want. And the guy that has everything and that everybody else around him wants to be like runs up to Jesus, bends down, asks this deep, profound question that many of us ask at some point or another in some shape or form. We ask the question like, how do I gain eternal life? Is that even possible? Is that even a real thing? And he asks Jesus this question. Now, we're not sure why he asked this question. We're not sure if this is something that has been haunting him all of his life and he's been working so hard to try to gain eternal life and he's not sure if he has it and so he's hoping to get clarity from Jesus. We're not sure if that's going on and we're not sure if he thinks he already has eternal life and he wants Jesus to tell everybody else around him how great of a guy he is and kind of stroke his ego. We're not sure, but we'll find out in a minute. Verse 18, Jesus replied, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Now, we don't know if Jesus paused here to help him and the people around him make a mental connection of who they were speaking with. We're not sure, but I certainly wonder. I wonder if Jesus said in that moment, why do you call me good? Only God is really good. Do you get who you're talking to? Like, do you know who you're standing in front of? Do you know who's about to answer the big question that you're asking? So we're not sure, but Jesus moved on from that. And he said, but to answer your question, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. So Jesus references the 10 commandments that this guy and everybody around them would have known. And in verse 20, it tells us this guy responded really positively, positively to that, thinking like, hey, I've done this. Like, I'm doing good. I'm checking this stuff off my list. I've done this all my whole life. He says, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. 
And again, we're not sure what's going on in his heart. We're not sure if this is an internal pride moment where he's going, man, Jesus is about to tell me in front of everybody else that not only do I have everything, you know, I got youth and looks and power and hair and, uh, you know, all the stuff that's super important. You know, hair's not all that important, but, you know, I've got all the stuff that everybody thinks is so important and I even have eternal life. We're not sure if he's thinking that, but Jesus isn't going to answer that way. Jesus is going to make this guy feel very uncomfortable, but he does it from a really good place. Now, we'll get to that in just a minute. We got to chase a rabbit for a minute, except this isn't going to be like chasing a rabbit. This is going to be like chasing an elephant, okay? So um, we need to catch this elephant, and we will catch this elephant. The elephant truth that we need to know is this. Jesus was not telling us that it's possible to gain eternal life by following the rules. Jesus wasn't saying that. Romans chapter three makes that very clear. Verse 20 says, no one can ever be made right by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law or the rules, the religious system as was promised long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true, love this sentence, for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you have a church background or no background. It doesn't matter if you know a lot about the Bible or nothing about the Bible. When we come to a spot where we believe that Jesus died to pay our sin debt so we can have eternal life, we are adopted into God's family. We're made right with God again. Doesn't matter who we are. Verse 27 says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the rules or obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So again, we don't gain eternal life based upon what we have done. We gain eternal life based upon us believing in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So why would Jesus imply it's possible for us to gain eternal life through following the rules. I think Jesus was setting this guy up and setting us up for a teachable moment, a moment that this guy would never forget, and possibly a moment that we won't ever forget as well. But again, Jesus does this, what he's about to do for this guy, and putting him into an uncomfortable spot, he does it out of genuine love. So verse 21 says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Just love that sentence there because it shows us the heart of our God. So Jesus was about to make this guy feel very uncomfortable. He knew what was gonna happen. He knew how this guy was gonna respond. And he didn't do this to embarrass the guy. He didn't do it to scold him. He didn't do it to publicly ridicule him in front of all of his friends and admirers. Jesus was really trying to help this guy. And he did it in a very loving way that ended up feeling uncomfortable for this guy. Now, I think we need to hold on to this statement that Jesus did this out of genuine love because I think if you were to ask God, like if you were to really ask him the deep question of your heart, that question that has been haunting you for years of your life, if you were to really ask him that question, I think he would look at you this morning and love you. I don't think he'd scold you. I don't think he'd embarrass you. 
I think he would just answer your question may take longer than you want for an answer. You might get an answer you don't like. We found in this series that sometimes the most loving thing that we can do for somebody is gonna be a painful thing for them and even a painful thing for us. It just might put them, it just might put us into an uncomfortable spot. But again, what Jesus always does is out of his love for us. So if you've got a real question to ask Jesus, I encourage you to ask him. He'll answer. He really will. And he'll answer out of his love for you. So Jesus felt genuine love for this guy. In verse 21, it says, Jesus speaking, he says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Now, I wonder in this moment if everybody standing around Jesus, everybody standing around this guy, as well as this guy included, all went, wait a minute, what? The guy who has everything, the guy who has God showering blessings on him hasn't done something? Like, what could that mean? I'm sure they all pulled out their, their ears to cup their ears to, to listen, their hands to cup their ears and listen, maybe pulled out their smartphones. Like, I got to write this down because this is an important thing. If he's not doing it, I've got to make sure I'm doing it. Everybody was listening, but Jesus doesn't actually say what he didn't do. Jesus says this. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Jesus said, go, sell, give, come. If you're familiar with how Jesus interacts with most people that we see in the New Testament, where he invites them to come follow him, he typically just says, hey, come follow me. But here with this guy, he says something different. Again, he says, go, sell, give, and then come. So why would Jesus do that. And I think Jesus was pointing out something in this guy's life. This is the moment where he's about to make this guy feel very uncomfortable and reveal something to him that needs to be corrected. He's about to reveal that God really isn't on the throne of his life. And that's going to shock this guy. It's going to shock other people around him as well. So Jesus is about to highlight the reality that even though this guy has followed many of the Ten Commandments, he has failed to follow the first one. The first of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, says, you must not have any other God but me. And we're about to find out that this guy had been worshiping his stuff, his power, his position, uh, maybe even the admiration of other people. God really wasn't on the throne of his life. And Jesus was about to lovingly put his finger on that in his life. And after giving him the opportunity of a lifetime to come follow Jesus and deal with that big issue in his life, verse 22 tells us that at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. This is what leads me to believe that possibly this guy was hoping that Jesus would stroke his ego in front of everybody else. Like, you know, he runs up, he, he gets into a position of honor in front of this respected teacher, and you know, here he is, a respected leader in his community. He runs up, and he's kind of hoping to get this audience and this answer of this big question. Again, we don't fully know his motives in that moment, but I wonder if he's just going like, hey, Jesus is about to make me look really good in front of everybody. And when Jesus didn't do that, 
when Jesus shined a light onto a dark spot in his life, he didn't take that thing and bring it into the light of God's truth. He took that thing and he stepped away from God. He walked away from Jesus and that opportunity of a lifetime for him. And after this guy walked away, verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Well, then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Now, as a point of clarification, Jesus was not saying that rich people can't go to heaven. Jesus wasn't saying that. He was saying rich people can't trust their riches to get them into heaven. Just like we can't trust our good works to get into heaven, our education to get into heaven, our smarts to get us into heaven, we can only trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for us to get us into heaven. So in verse 28, Peter blurted out, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, yes, I, I know, Peter. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive in return a hundred times as many houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and property along with persecution. Doesn't that sound exciting? I'm sure they didn't even hear that. They're like, you're talking about getting more houses? Great, keep talking, Jesus. And in the world to come, that person will receive eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Now, it seems like here Jesus is giving us kind of the inside scoop on how to gain more wealth. You know, some people might have heard that, misheard Jesus and thought, man, if I give up one house, I get a hundred houses? If I give up one property, I get a hundred properties? But again, Jesus wasn't talking about that. He wasn't talking about pursuing eternal wealth as our primary goal in life. There's nothing wrong with wealth, but as long as wealth doesn't own us, that's what Jesus is concerned about. He's about us pursuing the right stuff. And I think what Jesus is talking about here is family. He's talking about eternal family. So get the context. Again, he's saying, listen, if you have to give up family to follow me, if you're persecuted and you sacrifice something, you lose a home, you lose property, if you do that because you're a follower of mine and that stuff happens all around the world, it may not happen as much here in the States, but it happens all around the world all the time. Jesus says, if that happens, you're gonna be rewarded with an eternal family that you'll be a part of forever and you'll get to experience the benefits of that and the abundance of that for all of eternity. And I want you to listen to actually how that started to happen. Right after Jesus' resurrection and after he ascended back to heaven, there was explosive growth in the body of Christ, people putting their faith and trust in Jesus and being added to God's family. In Acts chapter two, verse 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and, what's that next word? Generosity. Generosity. Great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So part of what it means to belong inside God's family is that we learn to become generous people. We learn to give to God what belongs to him. That's all of who we are. Like we surrender all of our lives to him and we learn to be generous with the stuff that God has entrusted to us. Now, we will all be very thankful to know that God does not ask all of us to give everything away like he asked this rich young ruler. Anybody excited about that? Okay, a few of us are excited about that, but what he has asked us to do and what he does ask us to do on a regular basis is to surrender. Surrender all of who we are. That includes our heart, that includes our lives, that includes our relationships, that includes our bank accounts, that includes our possessions, that includes our positions, that includes our influence. He's asked us to surrender all of that to him and allow him to do what he desires. So here's where our message just might get a little uncomfortable. If you're a Christian, I want you to ask yourself this morning, who is sitting on the throne of your life? Like who's really sitting on the throne of your life? And I want you to just pause before you answer it because we, we could all be in a spot where we're like the rich young ruler where we answer quickly, well, I think God is, and then kind of deceive ourselves without realizing, you know what, maybe somebody else or something else is sitting on the throne of our lives. A great way to kind of figure that out is to answer the question and be honest about what we are afraid to give to God. Like, what are you afraid to trust God with? What are you afraid to give to him? Maybe you're in a relationship that you're afraid to give to God. Maybe you're afraid if you give this relationship to God, he'll take it away from you. Or maybe you've got some doubts that you're afraid to, to come to God with and, and really get answers for. Sometimes we, we hold our doubts as a way to kind of keep God at a distance. And there are moments where we really don't want answers for the doubts that we have because we kind of like this game that we play with God. We want him close enough but far enough away where we're, he's not in control of our lives. So, so maybe you're afraid to genuinely give your doubts to God. Um, maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your sexuality. It can be any number of things that we are afraid to give God complete control over our lives. What are you afraid to give God. I think that might tell you, it might tell me who's actually sitting on the throne of our lives. In my life, there have been a number of things that I've been afraid to give God. Uh, my future, my career was one of them, really afraid uh, of what that would look like if I surrendered completely to God, what he might ask me to do. Another thing that I've been afraid to give God is my finances. Uh, I have felt for, for many years or many years in my life where I felt like, I could not trust God with my finances. And in those years of my life when I was wrestling with that, um, I was real similar to the rich young ruler, except that I wasn't rich and I wasn't a ruler. So <laughs> the only connection that I had with him was 
um, that I had this relationship with God that from the outside looked good. If you knew me back then, you might think, man, Trent's got a great relationship with God. He, he goes to church all the time. He's very active. He serves all the time. He's like a really good person. But you would not have been able to see into the dark parts of my life where there were things I said, listen, I can't give you that, God. I'll give you like 90% of my life, but 10% of it, like my finances, uh-uh, it's mine. I'm not giving it to you. And that was a struggle that I had for a number of, of years of my life until God uh, brought my wife and I to a spot. We were living in Virginia at the time, two young kids. We were at our lowest point financially. And at that spot, we felt like God continued to invite us to trust him with our finances. And for us at that moment, what we felt like that meant was for us to learn to start tithing, giving 10% of our income back to God through a local church. If you're new to that principle, you might think that's the craziest thing ever. And yeah, I know, like I felt that for a long part of my life. That's the craziest thing ever. But listen to what God says in Malachi chapter three. Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great. You won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. For many years of my life, I like to put God to the test in every other area but that one. <laughs> and my wife and I got to that spot where we're like, God, this makes no sense. We're at the lowest point financially. I have no idea how you could even use our financial resources at this point. It's, it's so minimal. And yet we felt like God kept saying, trust me, trust me. So we started writing checks. Remember those things? You like tear them out of a little thing. We had the carbon copy thing. That was really cool, innovative back then. So we'd start writing checks and giving 10% of our net income back to a church that we were part of in Virginia. So we started on that journey, giving 10% of our net income, what we brought home. Then we moved to giving 10% of our gross income. Then we moved to giving 10% of our gross income plus our benefits, tallying that up. And then we're at a spot now where we give 10% of our gross income plus benefits and beyond that. Now, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back at all. I'm just saying over the past probably 20 years or 21 years that we've been doing that, we have experienced God open the windows of heaven and bless our lives in abundance. And I'm not talking about we gave God a dollar and he gave us 10 back. I'm not talking about that. There are moments that that happens. But just understand, the blessings of heaven far outweigh the monopoly money that we try to hold on to on a regular basis. It far outweighs that. We experience blessings in relationships, blessings in, in health issues, blessings in God's answers and blessings in all kinds of ways, God's provision, all kinds of ways that God shows up in our lives when we trust him. You'll be amazed at what God will do in our lives when there's nothing we're afraid to hold back from him. So God, you got it all. I'm gonna give all of it to you. Now, some of you might feel a little uncomfortable right now. And some of you might actually feel like you're being a little manipulated uh, by a religious leader. If you feel that way, I understand. I have felt that way before. And uh, I just want to make it clear to you that I'm not interested in your money. If you feel like I'm manipulating you, give somewhere else. Don't give here. 
But I truly believe as we read scripture, there's no possible way to really read scripture and come to the conclusion that God does not want us to be generous and that God does not want us to learn how to tithe. Like I, I just don't find that as, as, you, as you dive through scripture. So as we dive through this issue of scripture, it is a trust issue. And I truly believe that what Jesus wanted for the rich young ruler far outweighed anything that he could ever hold on to. And I think that what God wants for us far outweighs anything that we could ever hold on to. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Here's the thing that God knows about us. Our hearts are tied to our treasure. Our hearts are tied to our wallets. Our hearts are tied to our credit cards. Our hearts are tied to our checks. If you still write those things, our hearts are tied to the financial things that we have in life. And God says, listen, I know that. But what I want you to do is I want you to tie your heart to stuff that has eternal value, not monopoly money that's gonna be given to somebody else when you die or burn up when I come back. Jesus says, listen, I want you to have eternal wealth and I'm making sure you get a great return on your, on your investment. And it starts with trusting me with your heart, trusting me with your finances. Tithing can be a starting point for that. But tithing is just a beginning step towards a life of generosity. Beyond that, I think God wants us to be generous with our time, our talents, and our resources so that God can use those things to draw more people into his family. Again, Acts chapter two, verse 43 says, a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved because of how they lived. Because they said, listen, my stuff's not my stuff. It's God's. And I'm going to let him use it to help other people inside of his family and to draw others into his family. So here's a big question for all of us today. It's going to come up on the screens. What could you give away so someone might find a way into God's family? Like, what could you give away? Like, maybe time, talents, resources. What could you give away so someone just might find a way into God's family for all of eternity? I guarantee you, we will never regret one thing we ever gave away so someone might find Jesus. And understand this, if you're a follower of Jesus, somebody gave up something so that you could be invited into God's family. Your generosity helps. Our generosity helps. It helps us to go into our community and do things like 3G Sunday and 3G Saturday where we serve all over our community and projects everywhere, trying to let our community know that God is for them and so are we. Your generosity helps us create a children's ministry where kids love to come to church on Sunday. 
Like I said several weeks ago, when I was a kid growing up, my parents had me in church every Sunday, and Sunday was my least favorite day of the week. My favorite day was Monday because it was the farthest away from Sunday. Like, I did not enjoy my church experience. I didn't wake up going like, it's Sunday. I can't wait to go to church. I had to put on stuff I didn't wear any other time and go to church. It was horrible. I couldn't wait to get that stuff off and, and get home and go and play. And we've got kids coming here going, I can't wait to come to church. We've got students saying the same thing. And your generosity is a part of that. Your generosity is a part of transforming a middle school into a place where people can hear the teachings of Jesus. Wow. So what could you give away? So someone might find a way into God's family. Now, as we close, I know some of you might still feel a little uncomfortable. And if you do, what I encourage you to do is to take that thing, whatever that thing is, Step towards God with it and say, God, like, I'm scared. Like, I feel a little uncomfortable this morning. I encourage you to open that thing up to God and say, God, here it is. Here's my heart. Here are my doubts. Here are my relationships. Here's my future. Here's my finances. Whatever. Whatever it is for you. And let God take that and sit on the throne of your life. Again, what God has for you far outweighs anything that we could ever hold on to ourselves. You know, I wonder what happened to this rich young ruler. You know, as he shrunk back into his comfortable life, I'm sure that there were still a lot of people that thought, man, this guy is such a great guy. Like he certainly has eternal life. I mean, look at how God is blessing him. And yet I wonder if in his life he was haunted by Jesus' words. Go, sell, give, come. I wonder if that haunted him when he realized, you know what? I held on to Monopoly money and I gave up true riches for all of eternity. I don't want us to be like that. I don't want to be like that. And I don't think you want to be like that either. This morning as we close... Our worship team's gonna come out and guide us in a song called Oceans. And it's a pretty well-known song. But the song is about trusting God in moments when we're scared to death. And again, this morning, some of you might be uncomfortable and scared to death. And yet, God maybe has put his finger on something in your life. And if so, I encourage you during this song, grab that thing, step towards God, open your hands and say, God, it's yours. You do with it as you choose. If you would, stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we'll sing. So, Lord, I'm grateful for the story of the rich young ruler found in Scripture. Lord, at a first reading of it, there can be many of us that feel like, you know what, I just don't identify with him. You know, he, he had position and power and wealth and youth, and, and maybe we don't connect with, with that, feel like we're in that spot. And yet, as we read the story, I think we can all understand that we're all a little bit like him. At some point in our lives, there's always something just sitting on the throne of our lives instead of you. And it's something this morning, Lord, that you're saying, hey, get, just give that thing to me. Maybe we've been on a journey of, of giving God more and more things, and yet maybe this morning, Lord, you've, you've put your finger on a new thing in our lives, and you're saying, like, hey, just, it's time for you to trust me with that as well. Lord, I'm so grateful to know that 
You do that out of your love for us. You really want us to have eternal rewards, things that last forever. You're not trying to embarrass us. You're not trying to hurt us. You're, you're not trying to scold us. You're trying to help us. So Lord, this morning, during this song, I, just, I pray that this will be a defining moment for some of us, where we say, that was the day. I stepped out of my fear. I stepped into the light of God's truth. And I allowed God to have more control over who I am. God, I pray for those of us today in that spot that we would step towards you in those moments of fear and anxiety. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen.